Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast with the listeners in more than 100 countries. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, and a food and beverage writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. So we created our podcast so that our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, our media guests from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel professionals can be spotlighted in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guests' tips. So, you could be next. Also, please send your favorite pitching tips from the episode to hello at hanaleecommunications.com for a chance to win a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. And now, moving on to the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Kelly McCarthy, a two-time Emmy Award-winning senior producer and food reporter for ABC's Good Morning America. As a multi-platform journalist with over 12 years of experience, Kelly covers food, beverage, and hospitality. At Good Morning America, she leads the food editorial, which includes everything from broadcast cooking segments to original digital features. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Hi, you guys. Great to be here. So we were fascinated to learn that you have a serious sports background. You were a four-year Division I student athlete at the University of California, and your first big job in journalism was at NBC Sports, where you covered everything from Sunday night football to the Olympics to NASCAR, which sounds like an amazing gig. So what made you transition to covering food? beverage and hospitality. It's so funny, right? Telling that to people who have known me in the hospitality industry are obviously a little surprised to hear that the first part of my career was very much a different path. Um, I always say that my career has been a bit of an ant farm rather than a linear kind of straight shot. I got to a point with sports where it was very action play result and was looking for something where it went beyond just the moment to tell a bigger story. And I loved telling the stories where, you know, if someone was coming back for an injury or let's say the Kentucky Derby one year, which I got to cover, you know, it was a triple crown potential year. And like those stories, those moments that were beyond just the start or the finish of something um, was kind of what captivated me. And when I was first into hard news with ABC, I was so stunned to kind of see a lack of reporting in the hospitality industry. And it's something that I've always known about and grown up around. My family's um, always been heavily involved in hospitality. And I just was so excited because it felt like a space that had that breadth for storytelling that just wasn't being told. So um, that was kind of the catalyst. And then from there, I just kind of became this annoying voice that repeatedly pitched 
food beverage stories, you know, whether it was about a chef or a cookbook or a restaurant or some new, you know, cuisine that maybe has blown up in America and wanting to know why it just really captivated my attention. And I've really kind of been pedal to the metal ever since on that topic. Covering sports and hospitality seems to me very different, but do you think they actually have something in common? I definitely do. I mean, sports is very fast paced. Um, as you guys know, watching any live sporting event um, or being there in person, it's a lot like a kitchen, right? Like you have to work as a team. There has to be leadership. There has to be communication. As you mentioned, I was an athlete in college. So these are all just qualities that kind of do fit both lanes. And I think that athletes are very focused and driven to an end that has such dedication that it's almost rare to see all of those qualities culminate in this one big kind of effort um, for something greater than just yourself. And I feel restaurants operate that way, bars operate that way, hotels operate that way. And it's just that commitment to your craft that I think there is a lot of overlap there. So it's been cool to kind of draw parallels between sports and hospitality. So how did you become such an expert on topics ranging from USDA policy to cookbooks to restaurant news? I mean, you really cover the waterfront. Yeah, it's it's been an exciting um, time to be obviously covering the industry, both a little before COVID and then going into a pandemic and not knowing what that meant for an industry that's already been sort of a house of cards. Um, I was very curious and interested in, I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad and studied sociology as well as business. And so for me, being in a community that was so heavily influenced by food and a slow food movement up in Berkeley, tying that back to like bigger storytelling just was so exciting. And so I think that's kind of where I started to fall into um, wanting to tell those stories. Now you are a senior producer and a food reporter at ABC's Good Morning America. So can you tell us what sets it apart from other morning shows? Yeah, I think it's really unique because at least in my purview, I like to think of things as multi-platform before they even become a concept. Um, so I like to think of how is this story going to be told in a broadcast way? And how does that look different for a digital audience? And further than that, how does that look different if you're reading the story versus watching a video on social media? Like they're all so different now. And what you expect to see on maybe a broadcast cooking segment is going to be very different from maybe if you have an extra three minutes to watch it on Instagram reels or somewhere else. So it's unique because the the space I feel has changed a lot over the last couple of years in that regard and how we tell those stories. But I think that the storytelling we do at GMA just has such a multi-platform approach that it grabs more eyes in the ways that those eyes kind of need to receive information. Um, so it's, it's fun to be in a space where we do have competitors, but it's also fun to be kind of all doing something different at the same time. So what topics would you say you normally cover and what does a typical day in the office look like for you, Kelly? So it's a busy day. It's an early day. It's a busy day. At the end of the day, you know, it's news. So news comes first. If there's something breaking, it's all hands on deck and, and a very different day than, let's say, me waking up and thinking I'm going to write about, you know, something going on at the USDA. But a typical day is I wake up, um, I start, let's say there's a, you know, a show segment that's under my purview, I'll make sure that 
you know, all the segment note stuff is in order and get that, you know, ready to go for air. Um, so that's around 6am. And then after that, I'm making sure that any digital coverage that's, you know, tied to going up in tandem with those broadcast segments is, you know, published, ready to go looking good. Um, all of that stuff is then with the social media team. So just kind of it's, it's organizing a lot of different things. And for the show, the kind of run of show changes, and maybe like there's something new that's in the food, food news space. So whether it's a quick voiceover about a food recall, then it's like, I'll help template something to write for that to get it up on the site in tandem again with the broadcast. So it can be very fast moving, or it can be very on pace and what you expect. And then from there, I start the latter half of my day post show working on all of my original content and features. So whether that's trend specific and kind of a day of like faster, we want to get it up today, or whether that's working on things for AAPI Heritage Month or uh, something on sustainability initiatives to get up during Earth Month. There's kind of always a lot of projects and juggling, but um, from there, it just becomes prioritizing, you know, do I have four interviews back to back today or do I need to spend two hours writing this piece for tomorrow or kind of, you know, the juggling act that is features, day of stuff and futures. So um, it's a healthy mix. It's a busy day. And at the end of the day, I'm still on my phone looking at food stuff or going to an event talking about food. So it's clearly a, you know, a passionate subject. So it's it doesn't feel like work a lot of days, even when it gets crazy. What is your best resource for finding stories? I think people. I know that sounds so simplistic, but you know, the network that I've built within the industry is so valuable. And, you know, when restaurants were kind of on the brink of collapse, like the people I was reaching out to, to, to tell stories and ask questions were the people that were in my circle and then asking them to go one degree beyond and, and, you know, networking in that way, because it's such a one degree of separation community, as you guys well know, you know, Hannah, I could reach out to you and say, do you know any bartenders? in the Northeast who were affected this week by closing down and can't sell alcohol or, you know, fast forward, maybe it was this past year. It's like, how's their restaurant business changed or all these things. So really it's that, that person to person connection is how I find my stories and the scope can range, but it, it comes down to the people behind it. So I think that's the best resource. And we really loved your chat GPT story where you asked it to create a <laughs> recipe using your leftovers and pantry staples and, you were actually pretty satisfied with the results. So what do you think of the future of AI and should cookbook authors like me be worried? I certainly don't think anyone has anything to worry about in this space, having developed a lot of recipes and written a ton of them myself. Um, Michael, as you know, the cookbook journey, um, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Editors' jobs are safe. Uh, and as are the writers, I think you know it, it, it takes a lot of information and it takes a lot of learning of you know, pre-chat, you know, warming it up to kind of say like, this is my style. This is what I like. Cause it has to learn the person who's inputting the information before it can spit something out. That's really beneficial to you, I would say. And so I think it's more of like at an intermediate level where, you know, it, it's missing that human element to really understand like the nuances of things that maybe a reader would actually enjoy versus just spitting out information to answer a question. Or, or just knowing, as you said, like an olive would not make sense in that particular recipe. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's such a good point, too. And um, 
I'm sure it applies to things beyond food, obviously specific to my story. I was testing it for a recipe and I do think it could be helpful. I think, you know, in a case that you're, you know, let's say, um, a dad or a mom who wants to meal prep for your kids for the week and you have four picky eaters and you say, I need five meals for four kids with these ingredients. I think that would be great, but I think you need to have a bit of discretion when you go in and be willing to play editor for a little bit to say, I don't know if uh, pickles on a PB&J work, but maybe on the side. We also found your story on Cara Nicoletti, a fourth generation female butcher. Yes. So inspiring. I mean, it was a great human interest piece that also addressed sustainability and how she incorporates fresh vegetables into her new kind of sausage. So how did Cara and her company Seymour Meats and Veggies get on your radar? So that was a really unique one. Um, I had a colleague of mine who had heard about her through kind of someone else in the video space, um, seeing one of the videos of hers that went, you know, kind of viral. And um, it's not that her company is, you know, new in the last six to nine months, let's say, but she's certainly seen a lot of growth. And so I get very intrigued when someone's maybe past that kind of point on a trend where it's like maybe it's peaked or maybe it's kind of plateauing for a little, but it's like, what's there that drove people to this amount of interest? And what can I ask differently to give people a new lens on this topic? And um, I'm always hungry for sustainability stories. I think it's so important. I grew up in Southern California and I realized I was very privileged as a kid, as a teenager to grow up with accessible, delicious, healthy foods year round. And so to, to be in a space where I can help shape that narrative and find the people who are doing that um, on a CPG level, I think is so important. So finding a founder like Cara, who has those initiatives and, you know, is, you know, organic certified, working towards B Corp certified, all these things that just so matter for larger industry change. Those are the stories I love to find because it's like a little golden nugget and, you know, you can just kind of like shine it up and spiff it up and and help people see that this is an important topic. Also, we are so jealous that you got to spend time with Lydia Bastianich in her own kitchen. An honor. And we are huge fans of her. She's like the Nona that America needed without knowing they needed her. I mean, she's done so much for the Italian American food space and Italy alone and um, her restaurants, obviously, but her show, I think first and foremost, I was a little kid who grew up watching Martha Stewart living and, you know, obsessed with that kind of stuff. And uh, to be in the kitchen where she shoots her show was just incredibly special debuting her new cooking line, cooking through two of her recipes that she said she's made for her family for over 40 years, you know, it was just an incredible thing. And I have to tell you, it tasted incredible. So I'll definitely be making her recipes. She's unstoppable for decades and decades. So inspiring. We love her so much. So um, how often do you go to a chef's kitchen to shoot? Often, you know, as, as often as we can. Um, it's obviously, again, one of those things that's changed a bit uh, due to COVID. And um, we were really successful in kind of pivoting and, and letting when possible, uh, you know, the social teams within an, you know, a restaurant shoot some stuff for us and say, like, here's what we'd be looking at. And so um, sometimes that video can turn into a recipe video in a chef's kitchen without us even going there, which is really nice. But it's, it's obviously very fun to be there in person. And I probably do shoots around the city, like once or twice every three weeks, maybe a little more or less, depending on obviously chefs 
have very strict schedules of like when you can get into the kitchen to actually come with gear and shoot. But uh, it's very fun to do. It's interesting that you do use content that's been created by chefs or bartenders to use on the show. That's that's a very interesting insight. It's such a good resource, you know, and I think it's so important and a skill that not that chefs need to add anything else to their plate. I know they're extremely busy, overworked, understaffed many times. And, you know, it's not that we want to say like, hey, add this to your plate just for us. It's more of a, if you have a lens of something that, you know, I wouldn't have an eye for the way I shoot something. Um, I would love to see that view as to what's going on in your kitchen behind the scenes. And it gives people kind of a welcome door to say, this is what it looks like from my point of view. And I think that's so unique. And so when we're able to share kind of moments like that, it's really fun to show the Good Morning America audience or even my own personal audience like that kind of look. Speaking of videos, you are a master of creating TikTok content <laughs> and we love watching it. It's so entertaining. It's so educational. So in your opinion, what chefs and bartenders do you think are doing a great job on TikTok right now? Oh man, you know, it's, there's so many and I think it depends on the audience. If you're someone who really wants to see the cooking and the fast, like start to finish dish, then maybe a chef who's showing something in their home is a better fit. But then there's certain, you know, restaurants and, and like you said, bartenders um, who show kind of their craft of what they're doing really stylized and slow so you can appreciate it. Um, so I think anything like that for me, where it tells the story a little slower, because I think there are so many fast paced videos, and there's certainly a market for that, right? But I think that people who want to kind of engage and sit there with it for a minute, uh, and feel like, wow, I want to go have this experience there with that food and that drink. I think that kind of slower style has grown on me a lot um, in a world where everything is so fast. Um, I know, obviously, the team at a uh, Saga, Crown Shy, that whole group uh, does an incredible job with their social and there's so many others as well. But um, stylistically, whenever you can kind of get that money shot of like a really gorgeous pour and like explain the story maybe behind the person making the drink or the origin of the drink or kind of what makes it new. I think that's what's really fun and engaging on social to see. Out of curiosity, how, how often do you find story ideas by scrolling social media? Often. <laughs> too often, probably. I feel like I uh, I have a whole saved section of stuff that I'm one person overseeing, you know, the food vertical, and that's a lot. And it's a it's fun to be able to do that. But there's so many talented people that I want to give a platform to, and then just not enough hours in the day, or not enough days in the week, weeks in the year, months in the year. Um, so I would say, tangibly. Probably I'm saving seven to 12 a day that like really I want to pursue as as a trend or a story. Looking ahead for the next few months, what, what kind of stories will you be working on? I'm very interested in companies, founder stories, um, especially where it relates to sustainability or shaping policy change for the industry. Um, like this is less about policy and more so about kind of the nature of the beverage space, and that is non-alcoholic beverages. I did a piece uh, a little over a year ago now, and at the time, the non-alc space was up three hundred percent. And you know, for to see to see something like that where it's not just a trend, it's something that in five years we're not going to look back on and say, "Wow, that was an interesting trend." We're going to look down on a menu and see non-alc, and it's just going to be normal. 
And those are the stories that I really enjoy. Um, it's kind of honestly more of a sociological perspective. I'm feeling like I'm having an aha moment here on this podcast, but, uh, I really do love when it kind of connects to a larger thing that's changing. Um, and there's just so many stories behind the people doing it, whether it's, you know, a sustainable fishery up in the Northeast or, you know, someone implementing, you know, a garden in their kid's classroom. You know, those are the stories that I'm kind of always looking for. And then in the next few months, other than kind of more evergreen non-specifics, I would say usually tied to tentpole things. Like I'm not quite finished with Mother's Day coverage, but getting there. And there's always a bunch of great spring cookbooks. So we have a lot on the horizon for that in the next two months. Um, summer, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff on, you know, like gardening and getting outside and kids understanding the food system. Um, I'm sure there'll be some public policy stuff going back to back to school, what states are going to be offering free lunches, um, things that are very important from that purview. And then we'll see it just, it again, it always depends on the news cycle. I feel like food is kind of a constant buzz, uh, especially with inflation and, you know, food shortages and other things, not that there's mass shortages, but just keeping an eye on that pulse. And then that's kind of the space that I like to wade the waters of. We all know tasting is believing. And I know, and we know <laughs> you are invited to a ton of tasting events. So how do you choose the ones that you want to attend? Usually, you know, if it's something where I know the person involved, whether that's the chef, the GM, the publicist behind the event, you know, it, I don't want to ever take a seat at the table that maybe someone else could have or, or would enjoy um, if, if I can't, you know, necessarily do a story about it that day. I like to really suss out, like, is this mutually beneficial? And nine times out of 10 it is. And it's hard to pick because there's so much great stuff going on. And I think narrowing it down usually comes down to how is this fitting into kind of what I'm working on? Are the people aligned with the values that, you know, I believe in as a storyteller? And are they kind of in this part of the space that's really an exciting space and positive about it? You know, it's you can kind of feel when there's press events that are put on that feel a little negative or overbearing in a way, or, you know, I don't know necessarily the right term for that. But um, sometimes it's just so oversaturated. And you want to feel like if you're participating in something that your time is, you know, equally as important as the person hosting it. And so I think it's important that it doesn't become such a big, overwhelming space with just a bunch of influencers. And um, not that they're not great for the space. It's just, you know, there's different audiences in which being in that room um, carries different weight. And so I think narrowing it down based on knowing kind of the atmosphere and the values of the room is really important. All right. So uh, that, that was very helpful advice. And uh, just curious for our listeners who want to pitch their stories to you, do you have any cardinal do's and don'ts that they should be aware of? Always uh, double, triple, quadruple check the name that you are putting high blank into. Um, I've gotten a lot of Katie's. I've gotten a lot of Kelsey's. It's just, if, you know, if my name is in the email address, which it is, just triple check the spelling of the name. Um, cause that's a very quick way to get a delete or a, you know, maybe it's less of a priority. 
Um, the things that work really well are when it's time sensitive, if it has the date in the top. Um, and especially if you're someone who we've already made a connection through something or, you know, we know each other a bit, you know, put that in there. Remind me it's, it's so nice. And, you know, luckily we're back at events and doing things in person again, but it's a bit overwhelming right now too, because I feel like we all kind of got thrust back into 110% of life. And meanwhile, everything's on our computer. So it's, it's really like, there's a lot of noise. So having that up top is really helpful just to remind me right off the bat, where did we meet? What are we working on? What did we talk about? And then quickly, as succinctly as possible, let me know what you have as a pitch. Um, and, you know, understand that it's the news industry. And if I don't respond right away, it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's not that I don't want to hear everything about your amazing pitches. It's that maybe it's a busier day than usual. And it's always okay to resend it. If I don't, if I don't respond within a couple of days, absolutely. I'm all for the, Hey, reflagging. Uh, it's very helpful. And I, I love getting pitches. And as long as it's, you know, to the point and explaining a story that's worth telling, I'm all ears. We call our podcast Hospitality Forward. So in your opinion, Kelly, what organization or person have you recently seen innovating and moving our industry forward? I mean, I have to say the James Beard Foundation. I think as an organization, they're kind of always moving the needle. But a couple of years ago, they kind of, you know, did a bit of an overhaul of their values and they really looked inward and they said, how do we need to change? And in doing so, you know, they changed partners, they changed vendors, they brought on new programs, they, you know, have new initiatives uh, for younger chefs and more diverse chefs. And I think they've so lived up to in a short time, all these things they were wanting to do, you know, they've just finally opened the space uh, down Pier 57. And it's absolutely stunning. If you guys haven't been yet, it's amazing. Um, and that's going to be a space where, you know, there's one booth, I believe that once a month or once every couple months, it changes to be one of the visiting chefs from their James Beard Fellow program. And I just think as an organization, they have such a duty to help the next generation. And they're doing that out of the pure value that they bring to the table and, and the, the intrinsic values that they stand for as an organization. Um, so I'm just, I'm very impressed by them. And Every chef that I've met that's ever come out of the fellowship program or every chef who I've met who has cooked at the house is just such a humble person. And it's so special to see in this space, you know, maybe someone that came up in a much more difficult time in kitchens who's now willing to say kitchens don't need to be like this and, and the industry should be living fair living wages and all of these conversations that they're having within the organization to help this next generation of chefs is something so special and unlike anything I've ever witnessed. So I'm blown away by what they do. And it's a special um, place to obviously storytell with them as well. And I think um, they have a you know, great leadership, the CEO, Claire, and she's been doing an amazing job. She's like determined to do more and better for the community. And it's wonderful to see her commitment. Yeah, she's amazing. And a former uh, NBCer. So she and I have that in common. That's right. There you go. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, now a fun question. Okay. What is your most prized cocktail? And who is the one person you want to drink it with and why? Oh, my. You know, right now, because I'm thinking about it, it's springtime. It's kind of lighter and brighter. 
Um, I'm a gin gal. I really love gin and gin and tonics have always been very special in my family. Um, my dad's whole family is Irish. So, you know, they grew up with like really amazing whiskeys and gins and, uh, yeah, I would say a gin and tonic or a dirty Bombay Sapphire martini, just a classic. Um, but specifically I would say the person I would want to share it with would be my dad because that was kind of, he's always been the cocktail guy in my life and always, helped me sniff and understand my palate and whether that's wine or a cocktail. Um, that's something that's been sp- so special in my relationship with my dad. And yeah, I just think he and I in a martini just, it just works. And I will say having recently been back at Bemelman's for the first time in a long time too, um, anything they serve me is always special, but they have this cocktail and I'm not typically a vodka drinker, but the passion Royale, um, that has like a floater of champagne and a passion fruit cordial. It's just a perfect drink um, served with the pebble ice, which is one of my favorites. So I feel like going into summer, that's an ideal drink. And and then my dream date for that one would be the two of you guys. So <laughs> I just say when we'll be there. Yes, me too. Uh, love you, Kelly. <laughs> so one last question before you go. What country is on your bucket list? to visit for your next trip and why? I love this question so much. Um, I've been nerding out on a ton of wine lately and for the last few months as I'm kind of going through the WSET program. Uh, and <laughs> Argentina. Argentina is number one on my list right now. Um, I've wanted to go spend more time in South America, brush up on my Spanish a bit. I know it's a very different dialect, so I'd probably need to do a little Duolingo before I get down there. But um just the wine region down there is so fascinating to me. And they have such amazing wines that you really can't get in the US, um, you know, with the distribution being so difficult, tariffs are so high and other things. So um, I think that would be definitely my bucket list, top of the list. And I just think food and wine wise, it would really do it for me. <laughs> what is the best way for our listeners to reach you when they are ready to pitch you with their awesome stories? Yeah, I would say definitely my email, which is just my name, kelly.mccarthy at abc.com. And then also Instagram. I'm always on there, um, probably at least once a day, usually more, um, less so obviously during the broadcast show hours. So if you want to pitch me the best time of day on Instagram, I would say is probably around noon once I'm kind of getting through the, the hump of the early part of the day. And on email, the best time of day to pitch me is around like nine o'clock. That way, if I want to get something in for a day of pitch, I can kind of look at it before my 945 and I have some time to process it. Um, so those are my two preferred platforms. It used to be Twitter, but we're going downhill on there. So, Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time. This has been an utter delight, and we really hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Of course. I love you guys. This was great. Thank you for having me. Wow, what a really fun and educational conversation. Now that you know what Kelly is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.hanaleecommunications.com. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.